0: hello friends and welcome to another edition of dan and benny in the ring i'm dan Sebastiano joined as always by the bs express himself benny scallop benny how you doing today
1: Dan, to quote the iconic rock band Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends. And to those of you who are concerned about my dating life, I did meet a very nice woman who's a baker. Now, she can't make coconut custard, but she sure can make my banana cream. Back to you, Dan. Oh, no.
0: Is that, a, is that another? Um, soupy sales. Yeah, that's funny. Well, uh, tonight, the topic is this. Uh, we're going to talk about the status of the business, the state of the business, kind of a state of wrestling. So for that, we went to our favorite wrestling fan. He's the angry wrestling fan. He's an award-winning filmmaker, friend of the show, Mike Messier. Mike, thanks for being here.
2: Thanks for having me, guys. And uh, thanks to Dan uh, Sebastiano and Benny Scala. Benny's been very supportive of uh, subscribe to Mike Messier YouTube channel. And uh, that is the actual name of the channel. where You'll, you'll see Pro Wrestling Rants, AEW Clips, I've got a very popular video from the Artifacts Room at the AEW Fan Convention, but you'll also see a lot of pro wrestling rants and a lot of WWE rants over the last three or four years. So for pro wrestling fans, you're welcome to come over to subscribe to Mike Missy's YouTube channel and see what I'm up to.
0: Well, as a uh, as a fan of the product, there's been a lot to rant about recently, and that's going to be the topic of tonight, where where wrestling is. There's been a lot of news. We're recording this uh, on a Tuesday. It's June 8th, and the last just... 10 days or so. There's been a lot to unpack. Uh, I know uh, Benny, you had said you had some numbers you wanted to start. So what do you got? What are you thinking?
1: Well, my first question is a long winded and loaded question. It's kind of like the baked potato at
0: Applebee's. It's, it's one, fully loaded. One so, question in 47 parts.
1: Well, no, actually it's, it's in one, but it's, it's a pretty long winded question. So Mikey, you know, you had mentioned that uh, John Laurinaitis had released a text last week saying that the WWE released Braun Strowman, Alistair Black, Buddy. Murphy, Lana, Santana Garrett, Ruby Riot, due to, quote unquote, budget cuts. So I happen to be a budget professional. I've worked with budgets most of my adult life. Uh, I worked, I, I've done private, you know, I've done not-for-profits. And my, my perception of a budget cut is, I'll give you an example. You know, mom and pop grocery store, they're not making enough money to pay the bills. So they got to lay off the delivery guy. And then mom and pop are going to do the deliveries themselves, you know, to, to make up for it. And when I worked for Pasco County government in 2009 as a budget analyst, at that time they, we were going through a recession, the tax revenues weren't enough to pay, you know, pay the bills for the government, the payroll and all the other expenses. So they had to scale back on certain things. They actually laid off employees for the first time in years and years. Um, you know, they had to cut back services. They, co- they closed parks. They cut, you know, cut library hours. To me, those are budgetary. Those are budget cuts. You know, and I don't know if you can see in my background, I have the w, some WWE financials uh, as far as their revenue. But the, uh, the numbers I found for tw- 2020, so this is in a year of global pandemic when they pretty much ran no house shows, right? Uh, right? Net income, $132 million for the year. Uh, shareholder equity, $389 million. Cash on hand, so cash in the bank. Five hundred and ninety three million dollars. So over a half a million dollars cash in the bank. So, Mikey, my question is, you know, I, I'm thinking that if, if Vincent LaGuardia Gambini had seen John Laurinaitis's text, the, the words out of his mouth would have been everything that guy just said is bullshit. Thank you. So if, if John Laurinaitis had to swallow some truth serum, what, what would that text really have said? What was the real reason why they got rid of these people?
2: I would think that it would be something to the effect of uh, we're taking options to sell our company. We haven't committed to any of those options as of now. But in order to further enhance and strengthen our uh, records, our books, and be even more profoundly in the block, we want to cut uh, employees that we feel are being overpaid or underused or both. And we are going to maximize every cent, every dime, every dollar, and every millions of dollars we can. And um, some of this apparently has been attributed to the rise of a gentleman. I believe his name is Kevin Kahn. No relation to Tony Kahn over at uh, All Elite Wrestling. And uh, Kevin Kahn, who's coming to power with the WWE, apparently does not have the... uh, personal relationships with some of these wrestlers. Apparently, Vince McMahon has a a strong liking for Braun Strowman, who I think most would agree was the biggest name cut uh, last week. And Vince's personal interactions or personal fondness for Braun would have kept Braun on the payroll, presumably, if Vince was making the final decision. But since they've elevated this Kevin Kahn gentleman to a higher position, and now he makes that call, Kevin Kahn didn't see the upside of keeping Braun Strowman to a million-dollar-plus downside contract, so Braun was cut. And unfortunately for Braun Strowman, as far as we can tell, and I don't have all these records at my fingertips, the WWE records I'm talking about, Braun Strowman did not have a do-not-cut clause in his contract. So essentially, he's got a contract that's a contract good for the WWE, good for him if everything stays the same and goes as planned. But when, you know, quote, things happen, end quote, that's when you get cut. And unfortunately for Braun, uh, some of his words on Twitter uh, a year and a half ago or so about kind of, you know, I'll, ne- I'll never put my boots on for another wrestling company in advance. Some of his, you know, brash words are now biting him in the butt in the world of social media uh, engagement, which may or may not matter to him. I have a feeling it doesn't matter to him. So I don't know if I answered your question, Benny. I tried. No,
1: you did perfectly. I, mean, I guess my follow-up is like, because I was going to ask that as another question. How does, he, how does he do damage control? Because you know he's not going to quit. Where does he go, and how does he, how does he explain it after he, after he came out with that? It wasn't that long ago, right? About a year ago?
2: Yeah, it was about a year ago. Braun was kind of, you know, and look, here's the thing, guys. I have done videos where I claim based on the information I've been given, that some of these WWE social media tweets that are controversial are not the actual wrestlers. They're college interns that are hired at a low rate by WWE to stir the pot, to keep fans engaged. So sometimes we see these social media interactions with pro wrestlers, whether a big... uh, Three or four years ago, the big thing was Becky Lynch's Twitter game was so awesome. It might have been her. It might have been a college intern. And Kurt Angle was tweeting things that were obviously not written by Kurt Angle, and I've pointed those out on on subscribe to Mike Messier YouTube channel. My point in saying all that is to say this. First of all, I'm not convinced it was actually Braun Strowman making that statement. It could have been, it might not have been, who knows. Second of all, he doesn't have to explain it. He's a professional wrestler. He's not the Pope, he's not the president. Braun Strowman owes nothing to the smart marks out there who are gonna complain if he goes to wrestle for AEW, which is my prediction. Or if he goes to anywhere else and uh, he's a young guy at 37, you know, and 37 is like 27, you know, in these, this day and age for athletes right. with all the protein powders and all the, the wonderful things you can do to nutrition, keep right. your, yeah, the nutrition, thank you. Uh, I really just, my, my prediction, I made a video, I think just yesterday afternoon. I've just, my you know, it's not Babe Ruth pointing his finger in the air. I'm predicting Braun Strowman uh, works out a deal with AEW and you see him exchanging uh, glances with Lance Archer and then Zeus like forum <laughs> smashes to the trapezius, you know, him and Lance Archer. And then he disposes of Lance and then he goes on to feud with Miro for the TNT title. And then, you know, somebody's going to defend the honor of AEW and who better, but Cody Rhodes, you know, Cody Rhodes versus the big bad Braun and, I mean, I think Braun's going to get a a fast ticket to his own, you know, section of the main event scene at AEW, and to me that's inevitable. I really don't think he's a guy that's going to go to Japan and wrestle strong style. I'm not sure the state of pro wrestling in Japan right now, to be honest with you. I don't see him going to Impact Wrestling. It's too small. I don't – MLW, I mean, if they really wanted to get every dollar they had, for one talent, MLW could be an option. They could build a company around Braun Strowman if they tried. But I think that Braun Strowman kind of fits into that niche of if you're already a pro wrestling fan, Braun Strowman's someone you're going to want to see. If you're not a pro wrestling fan, he's not Hulk Hogan in 1983. He's not The Rock in uh, 2000. You know what I mean? He's, he's a pro wrestling fan's wrestler but I don't think he transcends to that ultra-fine, uh, glorified air of The Rock or the Hulk Hogan or Stone Cold Steve Austin even. So my prediction, Braun Strowman, AEW by the end of the year. I could see that. Um, if
0: I can just interject for just a second, uh, you were on such a roll, I didn't want to stop you, but the uh, WWE president is Nick, uh, his name's Nick Khan. Not,
2: Not Kevin? Kevin, no. Who am I thinking of? Was there a Kevin Kahn back in the day, or am I thinking of Kevin Kelly, the old? You I was thinking Maybe, of Kevin yeah. Dunn, right? You
0: know, old, old Heath himself. Uh, you know, he, he his name comes up. But actually, uh, speaking of of <clears throat> excuse me, Steve. Speaking of Nick Kahn, the unique thing about him is he was hired in August of last year, is when they announced that he would, they were bringing him in as president and chief revenue officer. Which that is the big thing is they brought in a new high paid chief revenue officer and president in the midst of a pandemic. When you were already purging, you were purging wrestlers. You were purging. Cause you remember that was the summer when they laid off like Zach Ryder and some of those mm. guys and you're purging talent, you're purging office staff, you're cutting all kinds of expenses and you bring in a high paid president and, and financial officer. And interesting enough uh we were talking about stories uh, before we went on the air I, I mentioned how there's a lot of news that has come out uh in recent weeks and whatnot and um one of the things that that i mentioned before the, the sh- before we started recording that i think is important is when nick con was brought in one of the first things that was reported and this was places like rolling stone and, and some of the major uh, i don't want to say Uh, not no offense to our friends at the dirt sheets, but actual big news sources versus like, you know, pro wrestling and and ringside news and stuff like that is you don't hire somebody like that unless you're going to restructure your finances and then sell your company. And just uh, let me get the exact date here. It was May 28th it was reported or excuse me may may 19th excuse or uh, may 19th excuse me it was reported that he had just bought a 7.6 million dollar mansion in los angeles
2: in 2021
0: so, correct this was okay. this was not but a month ago right. uh, a couple weeks excuse me and so you bring you bring a guy in high paid president restructure your finances you, you purge talent. They just – was it two, three weeks ago? They laid off a large percentage of their corporate office staff and their internet staff and their net staff, some, probably some of the interns that Mikey was talking about with the tweets. Right. And you, you're Benny, correct me if I'm wrong. As a man, you've dealt with finances. I've done more than enough budgets in, in, my, in my day. You now have the smallest staff you've had in years. You have the least amount of total control because you've got Fox has say over SmackDown uh, your pay-per-views are streaming on Peacock. So NBC has your kind of runs your pay-per-view network. You're taking all this responsibility out of Vince's hands, out of the main hands. You hire somebody to run your company for you. You purge, you set up They're I've seen this before and they're getting ready to sell a company, perhaps to a major network and, a week ago, two what? Not even two weeks ago, the president of your company moves to California, moves to Los Angeles in the corner of Hollywood. So maybe, maybe the the story, and Mikey. I'm going to bounce this to you because the, the the biggest front runner, especially with the Peacock deal, and, and this is entirely speculation, is NBC Universal. I'm wondering what your thoughts would be about the WWE being purchased by a television network and not, say, a person. W- would it be would the WWE become a tele, just another television show? Would, would it? Would they event? Would they completely abandon wrestling and just become like an action TV series? Or do you think they would do kind of like Turner did with WCW, where they would be owned by a network but still kind of try and run themselves as a wrestling company?
2: That's a great question, and uh, uh, let's let's just pre- precursor this by saying this is. Uh, all opinions, no facts, at least on my end, you know? And so I would just say that I think it's this for the end result for the wrestling fan, this could be the best thing or the worst thing. And I would say that on a technical level, we, you could, you being WWE or if they're purchased by NBC, they have two options to start with. And then many other under options underneath that, but the two options are, We just catalog the existing content, everything from the WWE, the Attitude Era, the Bob Backlund Era, the Hulk Hogan Era. Um, And then the other option, uh, and and also the WCW, World Class Championship Wrestling, UWF, AWA, all the territories, uh, if they got Memphis and stuff like that, all the territories that the WWE catalog consists of, they could just literally just go into library mode. We're going to repackage and redesign and, and have all this wrestling product content on our network for eternity. So yeah. they could just do that. Now, the second question is, do they take the company, the Drew McIntyres, the Bobby Lashleys, the New Days, Alexa Bliss has still got 15, 20, 25 years of, of being a big star. She's very entertaining. there's a lot of entertaining people. Bray Wyatt's very entertaining. People that, although the WWE ratings have suffered, you still have some really good commodities there, meaning the actual talent. And do you uh, continue with some form of current wrestling product? So that's the choice. You just catalog it or you move forward with current stuff moving forward. The second option obviously is a bit more interesting because then you get into things like, could you do, uh, and I, I think if I were in charge, which I'm obviously not, I would be tempted to just make a city our home base. Orlando, Florida, Full Sail University, we've got our own venue. Buy, you know, They've been renting these venues, the Amway Center and all these other things. Folks, there are plenty of 20,000-seat arenas that the WWE could snap their fingers and buy. Or Peacock could just buy one of these 20,000-seat arenas. Right. Or a 5,000-seat or, or arena or a 10,000-seat arena. They could buy some of these arenas that, you know, maybe an NBA franchise or an NHL franchise used but left at some point. It, I mean, I watch a lot of YouTube videos about sports arenas that are no longer being used, and some of them are just sitting there. Yeah. WWE could swoop in. They could make that a home venue. They could put a Hall of Fame in one of those venues. You know, one of one of these lounges, like if you ever go to a sports arena, 20,000 seat sports arena and there's a restaurant, right? They could take one of these restaurants and make it their Hall of Fame room. It doesn't have to be the biggest or the greatest, but you could make something where there's a restaurant and you can literally have your home base for WWE in Orlando, Florida or in Las Vegas, Nevada or in upstate New York, um, Chicago, anywhere. You know, and you can make it that, hey, if you're a WWE fan and you want to see SummerSlam or if you want to see WrestleMania or you want to see any of our pay-per-views or any, anything that we do, a SmackDown or Raw or make a week of it and come to three or four events, you've got to come to us. And I think that that type of radical change is something that a guy like Vince McMahon Jr., it may not have occurred to him because of the tradition that's steeped into his system of we're going to the Capitol Center on June 15th. We're going to the Philadelphia Spectrum on June 16th. Then we're up in New York for MSG on the 18th. You know, when you have right. that wrestling promoter mindset that was ingrained in Vince Jr. from his father and from his father, Jesse McMahon, you may not be open to change. If if I was on the books, if I was on the company, I guess yeah, I just blew my wad and gave you my suggestions. But I would say wrestling you know wwe fans you come to us we're a destination we're in orlando we're either you know las vegas wherever but you've got to come to us instead of us taking our ropes and our rings and uh our pyro and everything on the road right that's when benny was talking about the money that they made a lot of that money was because a dollar not spent is a dollar earned when they weren't going on tour for the whole year and taking all those trucks and all those wrestlers and all the referees across the country, you're saving, what, twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 a show by doing everything in the Thunderdome. So it's, yeah. It actually made good money for them. Good sense. Good sense makes good money, right?
0: Well, I think if I can interject, and then, Benny, I'll, I'll bounce it off to you. Um, what you were talking about, its it's interesting because... I, I like the idea of a central location for two reasons. One, the peak of the territory days. Look at at the Louisville Garden. Look at at the Cow Palace. Look at you know the Memphis Mid-South. Arena. Yeah. I mean, you have what's that, Benny? Mid South Coliseum. Exactly. Memphis, yeah. You you had you know uh, uh, what were the equivalent of smaller t- of towns, smaller and cities, smaller than Orlando. Which was you know a good which a good destination. Now that you know you you had five ten thousand people every week for years in a row. If you build a local wrestling fan base, you're not going to have a especially if you're talking most of your money coming off television contracts. Those tickets could probably be ten bucks or something like that, you know. And the second thing, I think if the WWE moves to a central location. You're going to see a rise in smaller independent promotions because somebody's going to have to fill the void for the people that can't travel but still want to go see a live wrestling show, um, which I think is great. But, um, but Benny, before I bounce it to you, uh, Mikey, you said something, and I got to get this out there now before before we forget. You said you, uh, if you were in charge, if things change, you know McMahon, Kevin Dunn. The the people that have, you know, you mentioned before several people involved that have been personally wronged you. If, if WWE becomes NBC or Disney or something like that, you think maybe a uh, new, new boss, same as the old boss? Or would that be something you might look into again?
2: Well, look, I mean, I appreciate the compliment, Dan, because I love I love before I die to get a lot of things accomplished. But it's a certain point and it's not to be cryptic or macabre but I. I do have to mention something in a minute. It's a bit of a downer, but every man has a certain amount of time left in their life. And for me, you know, a, a distance from Avalon, the book that I, I wrote, and thanks to Benny for writing a nice review on Amazon. Benny, I'm overdue to, to say thanks for that. Well, I, I feel like I have, uh, it's a struggle, Dan, to be honest with you. My struggle every day is how much time do I put into my YouTube rants about uh, either pro wrestling, which is the majority of them? or Mike's movies reviews versus how much time do I actually do the research to write the sequel to my book? And so, although it's very tempting to say yes, if the WWE sells to NBC Peacock, I probably will send a resume in to answer your question. But at the same time, if life is short, do I wanna be another guy on the you know packing order, low on the totem pole and trying to work my way up the WWE corporate ladder? Or do I want to be a guy who writes his own novels, makes his own movies, and tries to make his own work in the world? And uh, I don't say that I have the answer to that this minute. WWE and, and NWA wrestling especially has been a big part of my life. Uh, but at some point, you take a gut check and you're like, man, I'm, I'm a grown man. And if I have creative energy, what always makes me feel best is when I make a film on my own or when I write a story or a script on my own, or when I do something that has nothing to do with wrestling, because there's so much compromise in pro wrestling. And to be quite honest, some of the wrestlers are cool guys. Brian Pillman Jr. was a cool guy, and he mm-hmm. kind of endorsed my book. But some of them are just ego, egomaniacal children. And if you've ever hung out with a pro wrestler, guess who's paying for lunch? He's usually not the pro wrestler, right? So uh, to me, to answer your question, Dan, I am fascinated by it, Um, but I also, to be honest, when I started being the angry wrestling fan, which is not even, it was just a manifestation of how I felt, I kind of knew that I was getting myself blackballed because the truth that I tell, which I I basically look into the camera and I say, if this crap is crap, don't watch it. You know, I mean, other other people in the wrestling community, whether it's uh, my friend Joe Cronin or whoever else, they'll tell you how bad the WWE is, But none of them will go so far as to say, don't watch it. Well, I'll go that far. I'll say, we're wasting our times. I mean, I started hashtag Raw Protest because I do feel that there is so much uh, intelligence and passion with pro wrestling fans. And I wonder if that passion and intelligence is wasted on WWE.
0: Benny, what you thinking?
1: Well, along the lines of Mike being hired by the new, you know, the new owner and just say he immediately gets promoted, which I think would be a great thing to the czar professional wrestling. Mikey Messier is the czar professional wrestling. And I, I did a little bit of research and for the Memorial Day Raw, 1,557,000 viewers for the Memorial, the Smackdown at Memorial Day, 1,792,000 viewers and contrast that to, uh. The Memorial Day Raw uh, and the Memorial Day Nitro of 1997, Nitro three million nine hundred sixty thousand viewers, Raw three million two hundred forty thousand viewers. the The last WrestleMania on pay per view that had over a million buys was 1991. By two million, by 2015, it was down to two hundred fifty nine thousand buys for WrestleMania. WrestleMania three had over four million buys so i guess my question is mike is it even possible i mean and i keep in mind 1997 people go to house shows uh you know uh in their hometown that's that wasn't a possibility now
0: anybody i'm sorry to cut you off for a second benny but anybody who uh grew up or or was a fan in 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 the 90s the monday night wars in that era it wasn't unheard it was it wasn't unheard of to a, a random Thursday WCW, WWF house show to have 20,000 people.
1: Yeah. So my question is, will that ever happen again? Can what, what would have to happen for, for people to love wrestling that much again, which I, in my heart, I know how much I love wrestling I know how much, you know, Dan loves wrestling and you love wrestling. There's gotta be a lot of people out there that still love wrestling that, like that. What, what, what could happen to make people love wrestling where the attendance is, you know, and viewership is, is you know, uh, g- gets close to those numbers again.
2: I'll give, you, I'll give you a two-word answer, and then I'll give you another two-word answer. You ready? Yes, sir. Hogan Piper, Austin Rock. You get your top baby face, you shine them up real good, you get your top heel, you make them dirty and, and nasty and creepy, and uh, repeat. And that's all you got to do. And here's what we've been hearing for years. You know, not just the three of us, but others have talked about this. Vince McMahon or or Triple H or Stephanie or whoever have not allowed some of the talents to take off. Daniel Bryan is a great example, and and there's been other great examples. Even even guys that could have been something and and were let go. Matt Cardona, uh, woo woo woo, right? That guy, right? You know <laughs> right, and and who who was uh, the guy who won the Money in the Bank briefcase, the, the genius with the blue robe. You're talking about Damian Damien Sandow. Sandow? Right. Now, Damien Sandow, Aaron Stevens, De- Aaron Stevens mm-hmm. he he was getting over uh, being the stunt double for the Miz. The Miz. Yeah, the, the,
0: yeah was... Damien Mizdow. Even his macho Mizdow gimmick. I mean, everything he did, the crowd absolutely loved. But... Mikey and you've seen it Benny you've seen it we've talked about it on the show before I would say only really maybe the last 10-15 years because I don't remember it happening in the 90s or the 2000s where at some point the WWE decided we are never gonna let anyone get over on their own again and if you do Zack Ryder being a great example, he was arguably, I mean, merch mover, uh, Rusev Day is another great example, where not only are we not going to let you get over on your own, we are going to do everything we can to destroy you on gonna television. Gonna punish you. <laughs> to, and, pu- and tell the, so the fans, no, don't you dare cheer for anybody, we don't push for you. And right around that, uh, that era, when that attitude took over is when the ratings started to go down.
2: You got it. And, and here's the thing. And, and look, I, I've said this before, and it's not a unique thought to me, but I have to feel that Vincent Kennedy McMahon, the one opponent that he can't beat is, is time, and health catches up to all of us, and the, the mind deteriorates, and I'm not picking on Vince. I'm just saying that I think that's a possible explanation that although he's able to wake up in the morning and function and, and even run a business some of his decisions whether it's just the old man yells at the clouds or if there really is you know what i mean if they're re- reference right uh, right you know uh, grandpa simpson yelling at the clouds or or if it's just being out of quote out of touch or literally having some type of aging condition which i'm not wishing upon him i'm speculating once again all opinion no facts but i just question if that's not a part of it and you know, I'm not trying to pick on Vince. I'm just saying that if you, if you're a 75 year old guy, trying to deal with, um, what do I do with Shayna Baszler? Uh, you know what I mean? Or what do I do with this Alexa Bliss? You know, I just don't know if Vince is the guy to to do that, which makes this whole Khan uh, thing interesting. Nick Khan,
0: wait, it, wait interesting. A Benny, you, you said you don't know if, if Vince McMahon knows how to handle Shayna Baszler. Are you telling me that having a legit mixed martial artist uh, and, and tough, tough girl who the crowd is behind being a tough girl lose a feud to a puppet isn't the right idea? I mean, I saw her run away from a magic puppet on Monday. That that has to be the right move for for a an MA, a former well, MMA former MMA champion. Missed, right? I haven't
1: seen Monday yet, but I saw last week when you know you had a match. There was an intergender match, so you have Shayna Baszler, who like to me is a killing machine, against a, an acrobat from Cirque du Soleil, and she loses to the acrobat from Cirque du Soleil. She gets pinned, and then she you know he's on uh, he's on the uh, uh, Alexa show. She beats him down and then she proceeds to, you know, get heat with the puppet. I'm thinking like, what the hell? Just,
0: just wait. I guarantee you if if they don't change leadership, Alexa Bliss and that damn puppet are going to be women's tag team champions for the oh, end of the God. year.
2: Well, I mean, it's it's I mean, then that goes back to Nicholas and Braun Strowman. And, you know, it's just it really is tough, guys, to be honest with you. I I was at the coffee house last night where I spend a lot of time. And I the, the cable that I have is uh, YouTube TV, so I'm able to watch cable pretty much anywhere okay. that has Wi-Fi. And so I was kind of just doing my thing on social media. I was you know tweaking some of my YouTube videos, and I said watching the hockey game. And then I'm like, you know what, let me let – me, I know that I'm not a Raw watcher, really, but I'm like, let me just peek in see what's going on. I peek into Raw, and it's a tag team battle royal. And they're rolling Miz out in a wheelchair. And Johnny Morrison or John Morrison's yapping away. And then AJ Styles comes out with his seven-foot-tall guy. And, and, guys, I really – I mean, for – and I'm a, I was assuming, but I didn't know that somehow Randy Orton and RVD Jr. were going to win this Tag Team Battle Royal. But then I just – I really had a moment. I literally didn't get to the 90-second mark of watching this stuff and I said, what am I doing with my life? How can I watch this? And I just went back to the hockey game and went back to YouTube videos and and just went back into a different form of entertainment. And, guys, I'm telling you, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, if you'd say, hey, Mike, you would tune into 90 seconds of Monday Night Raw and then turn away in pure apathy, I'd call you a liar. I'd say, of course not. i got to see who – you know, who's CM Punk Wrestling or what's this DX, you know, DX 2006, what are they up to or what's mm-hmm. Randy Orton or Batista doing tonight? Like even post-Attitude Era, I was still pretty into wrestling. And I was going to get into that with this shirt, you know, that I'm wearing tonight, this Triple H shirt and, and this action figure of Triple H. I believe it was, um, was it the 2005? His little crown has fallen off. It's somewhere in here. But this is the. That was, that was
0: his King of Kings toy.
2: Yeah, I'd, I'd play the song because it still plays the Motorhead song, but I don't want the, the copyright claim going to Motorhead. Yeah. So, um, but my point is, I still liked WWE quite a bit after the Attitude Era. We're talking, you know, whatever they called it, uh, Ruthless Aggression Era. I call it, I think of it as more of the WWE CW era. Like there was just like that 2005, 2007 when their reboot of ECW was actually pretty good. And they had a couple of years where they had like Big Show and Ric Flair fighting in thumbtacks. And they had this gorgeous young Kelly Kelly. And they had all these kind of edgier things going on. For me, Dan, I know what you mentioned as kind of the downfall, the decline creatively of WWE. For me, it was um, two things. I illustrate two things. One was the Chris Benoit incident. We don't have to go into the whole rabbit hole of that. But I think the Chris Benoit death, you know, whatever you want to call it murder, suicide, setup, whatever your speculation, but the Chris Benoit death and the unfortunate death of his son and his wife, Nancy Benoit, who's actually a great wrestler personality, a woman, great manager, mm-hmm. that was a big turning point. And I think right on the heels of that was uh, Linda McMahon running for some type of office in Connecticut.
0: Yeah, she, was, th- she
2: ran for the Senate. Yeah, she ran for Senate. And so then suddenly, I think it was right before a WrestleMania, the WrestleMania with uh, Triple H and, and Randy Orton supposed to have this big grudge match main event. And they were told that day, hey, guys, you got to calm it down because we're PG now. And uh, whatever year that was, if it was 2008 or whatever it was. But I think those two things, the Benoit situation, And the Linda runs for office, we have to go to PG. To me, that was the double whammy that took the WWE uh, creatively, really got hampered at that point.
0: Well, let me ask you something, Benny. um, As a money man, uh, one of the moments that's often pointed to as kind of the, the jump the shark moment, if you will, or the beginning of the end, was when the WWE became a publicly traded company. At that point, now they had shareholders. They, they, when you become publicly traded and you mentioned in the financials you know they spent what three times they had three times 300 and some million in, in shareholder buybacks and you see that all the time with and I'm not trying to get any political or, or economic rants or anything but like pharmaceutical companies and banks and some of these big corporations they spend more money on buybacks and shareholder investments than they do on product and at that when, when the WWE became Publicly traded their their goal was no longer to produce good wrestling. It was to make money for the shareholders and you could start to see like Benny said, you know, there are no more risks. We got to say uh, every every show was just loaded with, um, you know, uh, Michael Cole turning the, the Mountain Dew bottle just right. And, you know, um, I mean, every I mean we had that back when I was a kid, you know, the, the pay-per-view brought to you by Snickers or whatever. But now there's 10, 12 references. Um, what? Just a couple. Was it a was it a, a couple months ago? The Old Spice com- guy during the Old Spice commercial won, won the, the 24-7 title. Right? Yeah. You know, and now isn't isn't that Rick Boogs on Smackdown? The the Elias 2.0. So uh, you know you've got um, I, I mean it, it, they became corporate, and so Benny, you, I'll start with you, the money man, and then we'll bounce over to Mikey. I, I, you have these moments that these jump the shark moments where it's like, okay, that's the beginning of the end. Um, do you think if if they were to be bought out, lock, stock, and barrel, as they would be, would would you continue to diversify that way, or has this become Do you go back to being just part of something?
1: Well, it's funny that you said you asked that because I did have a question, you know, for Mike, as far as if it was sold, would the new owner just maintain the status quo? But I also had something written down that it's very I mean, it could take up three shows by itself. You know, my opinion is that I don't think wrestling was meant to be national. I think the, the the whole business model of wrestling is, as it is now is very flawed. You, know, you go back to the territory days, you know, and an Ox Baker wrestled in, you know, the W.W.A. in Indianapolis for what, four or five months? And then, you know, people kind of like, you know, it, in the beginning, people were very interested. And then when interest, interest started to wane a little bit, then he'd go down to Texas and wrestle somewhere else. And, you know, somewhere, somebody from Texas, maybe, or California would go into the W.W.A. And the fans were constantly interested because there was always a new feud and now we have all these wrestlers signed to these long-term contracts and I mean I've been watching Randy orton now since what 2003 and no, no knock against Randy orton but I mean how much more could he do and we, you know we, we get used to seeing these same people you know month after month year after year I don't think wrestling was meant to be that way I think wrestling was meant to be how we used to see it you know how we and, and I know it's never going to happen again but I, I think wrestling is meant to be Ricky Steamboat go wrestles in Mid Atlantic and then he goes up to WWF and then maybe he goes down to Championship Wrestling from Georgia and and every time he moves people are glad to see him you know well, nobody's getting tired of him.
0: Don't forget too, Benny. and, and uh, Mikey was a perfect segue to to your thoughts on this is uh, regions have tastes. I mean, sure. it, Black Saturday, you know the Georgia fans, the Memphis fans, the. The the Kentucky you you mentioned somebody I mean you Vince McMahon uh, senior in the WWF when it or when it was in the Northeast they had talent that wouldn't wouldn't sell in Texas or in 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 Oklahoma in Georgia same way that that some of these Georgia Georgia wrestlers and these Southern boys wouldn't they couldn't go out to california and sell out because that's just not what the local fans wanted uh so what do you think man you think he's right you think maybe wrestling just drained itself out because it was never meant to be national for so long
2: this this is for me now yes um i'm sorry i
0: said benny mikey i apologize yeah no no
2: problem um uh here's my thought and just to illustrate your point dan uh chief jay strongbow was over huge. I mean, our our buddy Nikita, uh, as Nikita Bresenoff and Evan Ginsberg, still refer to him as Chief, even yep. though Chief Chief Jay Strongbow, as most of us know by now, was he's an Italian uh, guy. Is Italian he's an Italian guy, guy. guy, right? He's Italian American who made his living selling us the thought that he was the Chief Chief Wahoo McDaniel and Mr. So Chief Wahoo McDaniel worked in the Northeast. He worked at the capitol Center of the Landover, Maryland. He worked in MSG. He wouldn't have worked in the Atlanta's Omni, where they were used to the real chief, Wahoo McDaniel. Mr. Wrestling 2 worked quite well in the, in the Atlanta Omni, but Mr. Wrestling 2 probably wouldn't have gotten over for an extended period of time in the Northeast, right? So there you go. That's a nice illustration of your point, Dan. Different guys worked better in different regions. Um, as, here's the thing, which I, I do appreciate Benny's point of, is this current wrestling setup just so far from what it should have been? Well, perhaps, and and I would probably feel that way too. However, uh, the genie's out of the bottle; it's not going back in. You know, Robin Williams is running around crazy as Aladdin, and we can't get him back in the bottle, right? Shout out to Robin right. Williams.
0: Can't can't ring that bell, huh?
2: <laughs> no, and so here's the thing, and and this is I find myself. I find myself, guys, believe it or not, wondering if I was an 18-year-old or 25-year-old Mike Messier or even a 12-year-old Mike Messier, what would I think of the angry wrestling fan Mike Messier? I'd probably hate his guts because as a modern fan, I sometimes expect or hope that these fans would, would go and find old Pro Wrestling Illustrateds and... Watch all all the great stuff that's on either the Peacock Wrestling Network or YouTube or whatever, and and and, and watch k '83 or Star Starcade '85 or watch Vern Gagne and Nick Bockwinkel wrestle to a sixty minute Broadway in the middle of Minnesota. I would like for these fans to do that. These these guys in their twenties and teens or thirties. The reality is they don't have much of an interest in doing that. They just don't. Right. They they want to see what is Alexa Bliss going to do, or what is Serena Deeb going to do, or what is, uh, you know, Kenny Omega going to do? They want to watch what's contemporary to them. So for us to put our old school traditional pro wrestling fan values on the 2021, you know, product, in a sense, it's not fair because when we were young wrestling fans, whatever our age happened to be respectively, we were more interested in what was going on at that moment than digging up some wrestling magazine from 10 or 15 years earlier. You know what I mean? So as wrestling fans, as older wrestling fans or experienced wrestling fans, veteran wrestling fans, you might say, we have to acknowledge that what's contemporary is always going to be where the business is going. We might say, and we are probably right, that 30 years ago, 40 years ago, 50 years ago was better You had all these different territories. They worked that crowd. The ticket prices were lower. You had a weekly show at the Atlanta's Omni. I mean, can you imagine going to the Omni four times in a month in 1982 and seeing Tommy Rich and Buzz Sawyer beat the hell out of each other? Every Monday night at
1: the Mid-South Coliseum in Memphis, seeing Jerry Lawler and Bill Dundee.
2: Yeah. How great would that be? How great would it be to be in 1982 and see David Carey and Kevin versus Michael Hayes, Terry Gordy, and Buddy Roberts, and any fathomable combination. But the thing is, guys, we have to deal with what's going on today. And for my part, you know, I've had a pretty good run as a wrestling fan since February because I've been going to the AEW shows, the Dynamites, and I'm, I'm actually pretty friendly with the guy who's running the ticket office, and I have my seat that I like, and I've been able to go to many shows. I mean, I went to a show last Friday. I went to Blood and Guts. I went to the pay-per-view. I went to the fan fest. I was there when Tyson was there. I was there when Shaq was there. I mean, these are like some pretty big moments in AEW in the short history that they've had, and I've pretty much been at all of them since February. So for me, in a selfish way, this, this whole worldwide situation, I, I don't even want to say the word because apparently your videos get demonetized if you even say the dreaded C word, so I won't say it. Please don't say it. But for me, it's been kind of interesting because I've had a pretty good run as a wrestling fan. And I, can I compare these moments to going to the Crockett Cup in 1987 and seeing, you know, 25 or 30 wrestling matches over two days, seeing Nikita Koloff and Dusty Rhodes and Tully Blanchard and Lex Luger have this big epic uh, tag team tournament final and MAGMTA coming out? It's, it's, an, it's an apple and an orange, you know, and I would probably prefer... To be, you know, that age again and seeing Magnum T.A. coming out after his Porsche accident and, and right. walking. You know, like to me, that will always rank in kind of an impeccable spot. But for the young fan today, he goes and he sees blood and guts and sees a, a two cage crazy thing and Chris Jericho flying off the top. And he's more forgiving that, oh, Chris Jericho landed on a bunch of cushions instead of really a hard canvas or whatever. Um, that's just my point. I, I guess it's just, just an age thing. We're getting older and we just have to realize that
0: that's well, well now, now counterpoint is as we wrap up here, um, since we have, you know, just a few minutes left, you, you talk about the, the direction of the business is what the young people want to see. But I look at, uh, music film, you know, oftentimes the leaders are what drives the product. I mean, are you, are you think it's possible and, and just kind of, you know, a narrative, if you were to say, I don't know, take someone like a, like a Jim Cornette or uh, somebody say, you know, one of the old school bookers and give them the modern product and tell them, look, young bucks. I don't want to see 200 super kicks in your match. I don't want to see any more suicide dives. I don't want to see any more spots where people stand there for two minutes while somebody climbs the cage and, and they're obviously all working together. You know, I want to see 60 minute broadways. I want to Kenny Omega, you you know, you have to learn how to do a damn knee lift because your knee strikes look terrible. You know, um, uh, I don't want to see talking puppets or, you know, uh, what you know bad moments i don't want to see uh i don't know whatever you have going on on raw or, or like you said you know rvd 2.0 and and they start and maybe not overnight but they start kind of incorporating what worked before are you, you do you think the modern wrestling fan the crowd that you go to AEW with if they watch a match and it looks more like you know let's say the young bucks against uh, i don't know Moxley and uh, uh what's his name um Eddie Thank you. Yes, Kingston. Uh, you know, if they if they were to have, the four of them were to have a tag match and it played out more like uh, spot for spot, a Midnight Express versus Rock and Roll Express match, or you mentioned earlier the Von Ericks and the Freebirds, do you think the crowd would reject that? Or, or would, would you kind of slowly go back to what worked and then maybe start bringing in, like Benny said, some of the fans that, that want to watch wrestling but just can't stomach what's on TV today?
2: Well, I got, I got two points off your one point. The first one is when you first started that, uh, Dan, it, I was like, oh, my God, Dan's been possessed by Bill Watts in 1992 WCW. He's, <laughs> he's going to change the top rope rule. You can't oh, jump no, off, no, no, no. He can't jump off the top rope, and he's going he's gonna to get rid of these pesky mats at ringside. So when we're bringing, Ken, we're bringing back rounds. Right. When Kenny Omega does a tope suicida – he better nail somebody. Otherwise he's going to hit the hard concrete instead of a mat. Um, and, and to be honest, I feel that some of what you said might be viewed as those 1992 or 93 WCW fans felt, what are you doing? You know, like why are we having disqualifications if a guy jumps with a flying elbow off the top rope, you know? And so uh, my second Thought on that, uh, Dan was you mentioned. You know, a, a guy like Jim Cornette. And here's the thing: I was there at Double or Nothing, right? And I think it was it was a long show. I think there was a total of ten matches, including the Stadium Stampede match and the Triangle match for the world title with Kitty Omega and and uh, you know those two guys, Orange Cassidy and Pac. It was a long show. It was a fun show. Here's here's the thing: being part of the live audience. And it was about 5,000 people in a 5,500, you know, seed venue. So close to a sellout. And it may not have been a sellout due to restrictions. Who knows? Right. But but the point is, it was a big crowd. Of all the matches on that show, when I left, my initial thought was every match was really good. My least favorite match was probably Miro and, and Lance Archer. And then I thought a little bit further. I'm like, oh, yeah, but, you know, the match that really didn't get over because I didn't even think of it initially because it was kind of boring, was that Cody, uh, a, a Coco match, or whatever his name a, is. You a know. Go-Go. A Go-Go. So a Go-Go and Cody was actually so boring that I even forgot about it when I was thinking, what was the most boring match? It was so boring I couldn't remember it. So here's the thing. I'm listening to, to Jim Cornette on YouTube, Jim Cornette's drive-through, and he's just deconstructing the total double or nothing show. And he's basically pissing on every single match except for Cody and a go-go. So and he, basically, Cornette's putting over that match. And the, the co-host Brian Lass, the great Brian Lass, is respectfully disagreeing, but allowing Cornette to go on and on about how a go-go was great and Cody might have let him win and all this stuff. And Ogogo is the only guy in AEW of these young guys who seems to have any potential and know what he's doing. And he seems legitimate. And I'm basically thinking, okay, here's an example. And I like Jim Cornette's rants. I mean, his, his rants are part of the inspiration for my rants. But when I'm listening to Jim, I'm basically thinking, this is an example of Jim Cornette being out of touch. The audience, the live audience, was not responding to Cody and Go. They, were respond- they responded to Serena Deeb and-, and Riho in the dark match, like the mm-hmm. match before the actual show. They responded very much to, like you said, the Young Bucks and uh, Kingston and Moxley, and that was only the second match on the show. Right. They responded to Cage versus Paige. Uh, they got their energy back up for the, for the triple threat. And-, and guess what? People were sitting in their seats to watch the TV knowing that it was most likely a pre-taped stadium stampede, we were sitting in our seats watching that. After three and a half hours of live wrestling, people are sitting in their seats to watch the TV, and people are moving around like I did because my seat was obstructed. So I go upstairs to the balcony to get a better view of the TV. We were into that show. We were having a great time. For me to then tune on you know, three or four days later and listen to Jim Cornette, I couldn't listen to everything he said because – I know what I experienced. I had a hell of a good time at at, a double or nothing. And I've been to a lot of wrestling shows. I put that in my top 10 as far as pro wrestling shows. And we're talking Crockett cup, 87 barely legal 97. We're talking some pretty damn good wrestling shows I've been to. And I'm putting that in my top 10 and to listen to Jim Cornette piss on it. It's like, Jim, you're out of touch. Well, let me
0: ask you something. Um, this will be my final question. And then Benny, I'll go to you for your, any, your final thought. Um, the the recent now granted they, they had, it was a late show and they moved around AEW's had moved to Friday and there it was the lowest rated It was like 400,000. It was the lowest rated show they've had since they've been on the air. Um, and, and I'm wondering, and it's, I'm not knocking them. I'm just saying is, is there really, they kind of peaked about what Shaq and all them about was like 1.1 1. 1 million. Um, when you talk about, yes, you had fun, you had the crowd, do you see a Young Bucks, Kenny Omega, Orange Cassidy, Pop, do they, other than the core audience that AEW has that, clear, that hasn't grown in two years, do they bring in new fans, or is that pretty much it? You've got your niche market, and that's,
2: that's it. This is for me or for Benny?
0: For you. Um, for you I, your final
2: question. Sure. I can tell you that when I was at Double or Nothing, the and, and this is the first, you know, because I'm at Double or Nothing and I've been spoiled because I've had the whole row to myself of seats, right? Right. Of the social distancing and the limited uh, seat selling. At Double or Nothing, I got my seat, but I got a whole row full of guys sitting next to me. The row full of guys next to me were from New York. They came to Florida for this show. The guy sitting directly next to me, he was saying he had never seen AEW before and his friends brought him. So he's getting indoctrined into AEW, and I'm trying to explain to him who the different guys are. I'm like, I see that Pac guy. He used to be your 205 Live champion. Mm-hmm. You know, see, see, that, see that Moxley? That's Dean Ambrose. I'm trying to, you know, translate some of this That's stuff right to right. him. Right. But he's getting into it. And like and I could tell he was getting into it because when the show started, he's kind of, you know, social media in his way. He's looking at all the social media. But once we're getting three or four matches into it, he's putting his phone down. Mm-hmm. He's cheering. He's saying, oh, this is pretty cool. You know. And his, his boys, his buddies, were, were all into it from the get-go. So he was kind of the, the casual fan of the bunch who was kind of getting indoctrinated. Right. I, I can say here's the, in my opinion, if I were to work for AEW now, which maybe I'll send them another resume, What they've and maybe it's because when you're rich, you don't always think, how do I have to make money? like when you're poor or when you're, you know, not rich. Mm -hmm. Well, that venue, Daily's Place, is a great venue for wrestling. Tony Khan and Associates should be trying to sell that place out every show. They're not. And what you're getting is that I think more people outside of Jacksonville come to Jacksonville as wrestling fans with AEW as a destination rather than the city of Jacksonville supporting or even knowing that AEW exists. I'm walking right. around with my wrestling T-shirts. A lot of time it's a Macho Man or an Iron Sheik T-shirt. Some, you know, person will say, oh, I used to watch wrestling. I like wrestling. Or, and I'll say, oh, yeah, you know that there's AEW in town? What's AEW? This is in Jacksonville. Yeah. So my point is that I could easily work for AEW and incorporate them into the community because, for whatever reason, they're so niche into their niche They haven't reached out to the city of Jacksonville, which has got a lot of people, and it's the biggest geographic city in the continental US. People know we're here, and we're here once or twice a week providing live entertainment, that's pretty damn fun. That's a failure on their part where they're marketing, or guess what, when you have that much money, maybe you don't care as much as you should. Right. Meaning, meaning Tony Khan himself. And Tony, hey, I'll I'll work for you. I'll get you some butts and seats. That's what well, it's all about.
0: I guess no no secret there, Benny. The uh, angry wrestling fan has a, a preferred company. Uh, <laughs> what, what about, as we wrap up here, Benny, what do you think? It's stay state of the wrestling business. Any well, follow-up? I got a
1: last question for Mike, and it's a follow-up. He was on uh, Wrestling and Everything Coast to Coast last week with Evan Ginsberg and uh, Buddy Sotello Esquire, And Evan asked him a question about WWE, like, why do you have to choose between WWE and AEW? And then Mikey did a YouTube rant about, you know, WWE fans making, you know, belittling AEW fans. And I gave that a lot of thought. And I, you know, went back in my time machine back to 1968 when, as a 13-year-old kid, all I had was Capital Wrestling on Channel 47, UHF, which I watched on my 12-inch Hitachi black and white TV set. Now, fast forward a couple of years later, uh, there was a UHF channel out of Patterson, New Jersey, that started carrying wrestling from the Olympic. About three or four years later, I got championship wrestling from Florida. You know, and after that was WC. And every time I got a new show, I thought, holy shit, more wrestling. I mean, I couldn't get enough of it. You know, there was WCCW, I think the for a while, Southwest Championship Wrestling in the mid 80s. I got AWA. It's like, I could not get enough of this stuff. And I the the thought never came to me is, wait a minute, like I'm a WWF fan, like I can't like this stuff. To me, it was the more the merrier. But I do agree that at this point, there is a polarization and I'm going to give my theory and then I'm going to ask Mikey for his theory. My theory is now, you know, at least AEW is trying to make an effort. And I guess backtracking, the one thing all those territories had in common back then was every single every single one of them was trying to put on a good show, quality wrestling, so that people would buy tickets to, you know, to the next show. Right and Now, I think the difference now is you know WWE is, is whatever that product is. It's not wrestling anymore, where at least AEW, there is a semblance of wrestling involved. So I want to I get Mikey's take on that.
2: Why do the fans go at each other? Is that the why, question? Why do you have to choose one or the other? You don't have to.
1: No, but I mean, why do people choose one or the other?
2: I think it's – we cheer for laundry. Why, why, don't, why don't people cheer for every football team in the league? We know that the players have no loyalty to anything other than their money. I mean, no player – for the most part, there's always exceptions. Baseball, basketball, uh, you know, with the exception of LeBron James going back to Cleveland. But for the most part, the professional sports people, athletes, choose teams based on who's going to pay them the most money. We as fans typically – and there's exceptions – we cheer for the team that's in our hometown or maybe like there's Rhode Islanders who cheer for the New York Yankees because the generation before them were Italian American Yankee fans. You know, like my dad was a Yankees fan, right? But he grew up close to the Red Sox. So there's, there's reasons that fans cheer for laundry for wrestling. My theory guys is that there has been a lack of conflict on the screen. Uh, Part of it is people like not her fault, but Renee Young. For all her five or six or seven years as one of the top people in WWE, she had a very calming presence, almost diffusing conflict. Why do you want to wrestle your friend? Why? Why did you turn on Seth Rollins? Why did you beat your friend up with a chair? And and just kind of this feminization of the product,
1: guidance counselor almost.
2: that's that's how Renee Young to me came across in her interview segments. She was always kind of nullifying the conflict. Why are you guys fighting? Well, Renee, this is wrestling. It's supposed to be fighting. <laughs> me, <laughs> right. me, me, and Gene Okerlund and others would spike the the conflict, meaning that they would add to it. Well, oh, I can't believe it! My goodness, Morocco, you choked Ricky Steamboat. So my point is, a society that's becoming more politically correct. No one wants to offend anyone. Comedians can't tell jokes uh, out of context and so forth. Pro wrestling is in a tough spot because wrestling is supposed to be the Mavericks, the Bruiser Brodies, the, uh, the crazy people of society have something to do, which is to be a pro wrestler. But if you're going to cut the um, metaphorical balls off of everybody uh, and everyone's gotta be nice, and you're doing things like the Facebook intergender wrestling challenge tournament, and you're putting a high value on Ms. and Mrs. reality show, and you're you know, I'm not saying feminization in a bad way, but you're maybe that's the wrong word, but you're you're soft softening the, the rough edges of pro wrestling, especially in WWE. That lack of conflict um, doesn't make the audience seek less conflict we create it amongst ourselves so for me when i'm the angry wrestling fan and i'm taking heat and, I'm, and people are criticizing me and saying oh my god it's it's uh, you know jack black has has let himself go and whatever they're saying about me i don't care because at least i'm p- providing some testosterone to these fans that you're make- getting
1: the heat that the wrestlers should have been getting
2: yeah, because I'm you, you got it, because I'm taking a mirror to this thing called professional wrestling and to the fans and pointing it at them and saying, hey, guys, what have they done to our sport? You know what I mean? And and for me, there's a certain victory in that. And uh, actually, guys, I, I did want to mention that, unfortunately, and I know we're going in OT here. Unfortunately for me this morning, I found out that a friend of mine – he wasn't, he, you know, He. he's a, I'll call him a friend, a good guy. A guy named Mickey Gilmore, a New England actor, uh, passed away uh, apparently on Friday. And Mickey was only, I believe, 53 years old. Uh, mm-hmm. The only good side is he, he seemed to pass away peacefully and asleep. Uh, but it was very sudden. And a lot of people in New England that might be watching this, if they've gotten this far in the video, are, are very uh, upset about it. And, uh, you know, so I'll give a shout out to Mickey. He was a good guy. And oddly enough, uh, Mickey just had an acting role in a movie with uh, George Clooney and uh, Ben Affleck, apparently. So uh, apparently whenever this movie comes out, it might come out. It, it was just filmed two or three months ago. So the movie may not be out for six months or a year, but apparently Mickey uh, was featured in some type of you know recurring uh, secondary role or something, but Mickey was just really happy about that. And uh, really happy to, to get like two works a month, or uh, two two months of work on this film. And uh, I think they actually did have some lines from what I, you know. I, I haven't seen the movie, obviously. You know what I mean? So I don't even know the title of it. But apparently Mickey was featured in it, and he was so happy, so proud to get that break in acting. And unfortunately as uh the, the as i think jeff jarrett says the the great weaver you know we just don't know what's ahead of us right so i, I did want to say a shout out to mickey I, I i could be wrong but i think mickey was kind of like an old school hulk hogan fan of that you know mid-80s era i, I don't want to put words into you know his mouth or anything but i just want to send a shout out because when we talk about all these things guys um You know, it's easy to get caught up in these things and, and, you know, but, but at the end of the day, we all have to construct our own lives and do things that are good for us. You know what I mean?
0: Right. No, absolutely. And that is uh good words to end on do, do what's best for us. And, and, you know, if that means loving multiple shows, great. If that means Mikey, as you say, turn your TV off and send a message, then do what's best for you. Um, Mm -hmm. This is, I mean. Buy my book
2: while you're at it. That's that's always good for business. I was, so.
0: I was just about to say, Mikey. Um we, I, I, your your book is on Amazon. Benny Scala has a great review there, a distance from Avalon. Uh Mikey Messier. Benny, uh we're pushing along. Dan and Benny in the Ring Facebook page. We're at I think six thirty something now. Six thirty five. Six thirty-five. Um, and so we'll continue the cross promotion. Mikey, always a pleasure having you on. I know uh Hey, you know, uh, one 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 question, you know, today we could have we could have done a dozen shows on some of the questions we talked about. But, you know, state of the business is what it is. And we'll see. Uh, We had a lot of news. Um, I know just unrelated side note um, that I think it was uh, Jackson Riker is his name. He was just released yesterday, the Hmm. day after his birthday. And on Raw, he won his match against Elias. So it looked like he was going to, because they you know, they split that tag team up. It looked like Riker was going to be the one they pushed.
1: Well, he defeated AJ Styles as well. Like the, the yeah. week
0: before, I think. It, it, it looked like Riker was the one they were pushing. He's gone. Alistair black last week on SmackDown comes out, kicks Biggie Langston in the face after, or excuse me, just Biggie uh, after, after the intercontinental multi-man intercontinental match or two weeks ago. So there they were building him up. And we'll see where it goes. And, and honestly, I don't think they're done purging talent or office staff. So, uh, maybe in a couple of weeks, we'll have another conversation to see where it's going. So, uh, again, gentlemen, always a great talk. Mikey, again, you are a fan of the show, uh, friend of the show. I'm a huge fan. So it's always a pleasure having you for, Thanks, uh, war winning filmmaker, Mikey Bessier for Benny Scala. I'm Dan Spastiano. The book is a distance from Avalon. Buy it on Amazon, read the great reviews. So, uh,
2: Dan, can I say one more thing, buddy? Absolutely. Go for it. I, I want to, this is just a point I want to, I got to say this. I think that this, um, it's Nick Khan, right? Nick Khan?
0: Nick Khan, yes.
2: I think there is kind of an upside for bringing him in and giving him so much power in this company. And I'll tell you what. When we're talking about that, like, oh, my God, they just had Alistair Black, you know, kick Big E in the face, and they just had this Riker guy, you know, Jason Riker beat AJ Styles, wrestling people, uh, any of the three of us, or Vince McMahon, or Triple H, or Stephanie, who knows? It wouldn't seem logical to them to fire a guy who just beat AJ Styles, right? Right. you, you got one of your top guys, if not your top guy, performance-wise, AJ Styles He's 41, he's 42, whatever. But if you have someone beat him, logically, in a wrestling person's mind, you've got to keep that guy. He's a hot hand. You just had Aleister Black. You've been toying around this guy for two or three years. You don't know what to do with him. You're tweaking his character. You put him in there. He kicks Biggie in the face. They're going to have a U.S. title program, and maybe Aleister Black has the U.S. title, and maybe he finally catches fire, and we can do something with this guy. For wrestling people whether it's fan, a promoter, owner, whatever, you wouldn't fire those two guys, right? Mm
0: -hmm. But
2: for this con guy, if he's a businessman first and a wrestling guy second, third, fourth, fifth, whatever, he looks at the figures. He looks at the numbers. We're paying Alistair Black, you know, just making up a number, $750,000 a year. He's bringing us, you know, $10,000 in T-shirts a quarter. Well, this seems like a bad choice, a bad contract. He's gone. This Riker guy is what twenty seven, twenty eight. He he's been here for three or four years. He hasn't done much. He's not a great talker. He's gone. Uh, this Braun Strowman, you're giving him what a one million two hundred thousand dollars downside 14, guarantee, yeah. right? And 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 you've basically uh, we've made him kind of a guy who loses a lot of big matches, and he's kind of charismatic, but he's kind of not gone. You know, but we'll give him. You know, we'll we'll see in a couple of years. My point is that I'm not – I don't know anything about this Khan guy. Like, I'm not you not—I'm know, not a fan of his or whatever. But sometimes as a wrestling person, my theory here is if you want to do, quote, what's best for business, you bring in a business guy because he makes these tough decisions that the wrestling people are afraid to do. We can't fire Braun. We put so much into him. He, Khan doesn't see it that way. He says, this guy's not bringing in the money that we're spending on him. Gone. Right. I, don't, I don't care if he's uh, got a good attitude, a bad attitude. I don't care that we, we called him. He was headed home because he wasn't booked for WrestleMania. Roman Reigns dropped out. We, we called him, and he turned his truck around and came back and, and beat Goldberg at WrestleMania for us. Khan has no loyalty to this, right? And it, couldn't, it doesn't have to be Khan. It could be anybody. Uh, he has no loyalty to wrestling stuff. So that makes him, uh, you know, like an assassin, like a, a business assassin, I'm gonna you know, I'm gonna cut the fat. I'm gonna and and from a business point of view, I've never run a company like this. I see the value in that. Um, the other thing I want to jump on because we kind of glossed over it: if if WWE does get sold to NBC Universal, it, that's the same Universal of Universal Studios, right? Correct. Universal Studios, I believe, has three theme parks in their theme. That's the big thing here in Florida. Every theme park has to have more than one theme park. Yeah. So Disney has four theme parks. You don't just go to Disney World. You have to choose. Am I going to Magic Kingdom? Am I going to Hollywood Studios? Am I going to Epcot? Or am I going to Animal Kingdom? Universal had two for years. Now I think they have three because they have a water park. Couldn't you see Wrestle Park? You know, The Undertaker's uh, Haunted Mansion, The The Rock's, you know, SmackDown roller coaster. I mean, if if NBC Universal is added, looking to add a park, I talked about the Hall of Fame for WWE. You can have a whole WWE park. You got your roller coasters, you got your this, and you got your ten thousand or fifteen thousand seat arena in the amusement park, and your Hall of Fame in the amusement park.
1: You got a restaurant with continuous loops of WrestleMania.
2: Yeah. Right, and you could you could dig up the, the all the things that they were doing with the world from the two thousands era, sure. you know, which which was fun. I mean, I never went there, but you could you could see that they had the, the 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 model shows like Stacey Keebler and Tori Wilson were doing stuff, and the Big Show was hosting the WrestleMania at the World. All that energy that kind of got wasted because apparently the the rent was too high. You could put that into one giant crazy wrestle park, and if NBC Universal owns it. It could be Orlando, it could be your destination city for your for your wrestling.
0: Hmm. well, like i said, uh you know, I like that Disney. Disney, you got uh California and Florida both have huge amusement park facilities, so you know maybe maybe we'll you know if it goes to a b c Disney, we can phase out frontierland and it can be wrestle land or whatever. But, um, I, like I said before, you know, before your final thoughts is uh, interesting to see where the business is going. And we definitely have a couple weeks ahead of us next week, Benny and I will be doing our prediction show for Hell in a Cell. That's one of those pay-per-views that barring a disqualification finish like they had with the fiend and Seth Rollins a few years ago, even with crappy builds, it's somehow always a bunch of good matches. So, uh, I look forward to that. So, as I said, um, for filmmaker 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 and uh author mike messier for benny scala i'm dan Sebastiano. as always uh have a great night everyone and as always happy wrestling